Welcome to the Sound of Movement podcast, and it is Physio Monday. We are lucky enough to have Phil White back in the hot seat, talking all things injury. And today we're going to be talking about how to deal with uh, injuries in the new year. It's a new year, time for a new you, and we're going to make sure it's the best you. Oh, how are we, everybody? Good morning. This is your first time joining us in 2021. My name's Yanni Bormeister. I've got my brother Rad. I've got Richie behind the mixer. And we have Phil White, the smartest guy in the room by a long shot, (laughs) Uh, our resident physio. And today, I want to ask question of the day straight off the mark. Uh, No matter where you are, YouTube, if you're on the podcast, or if you're in the UMS Movement Mastermind Facebook group, answer the question of the day in the comments. Are you working through any injuries at the moment? And if so, how can we help? What are you dealing with? We want to create strategies. We want to get you moving forward. We want to build some momentum. On that note, if you are watching on YouTube, big shout out to you. Uh, Smash that like button. And if you're listening on the podcast, Big shout out to you. Give us a five-star review. That even rhymes. And jump over, both of you, to the UMS Movement Mastermind Facebook group. Join the live discussion. We want to send some love to everybody in our UMS Movement Mastermind group. The group is growing. It's strong. The tribe is strong. There is strength and unity. How is everyone? So well. Yanni's a poet and he didn't know it. (laughs) So is Rad. (laughs) There you go. Mate, I'm just so stoked to be back in Sydney. After being in country rural Western Australia where it's 43 degrees every day, the joy of going outside is just so good. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> stoked right. to be back, stoked to be back on Physio Mondays. I think there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about this year. And, you know, Rad talked about we're focusing all things injury, but as a physio, I really like to think about focusing all things performance and just how to get injuries out of the way. So, um, yeah, hopefully today we'll just provide a bit of clarity, a good sort of framework to think about um, when injuries crop up and how to get to where you want to be not just dwelling and um, dwelling in injury land. So that's right. And we do just to give you guys an, uh, an idea this week, we're actually for the rest of the week, we're, we're talking nutrition, but uh, we do have a full week on injury management coming up uh, in a couple of, uh, not next week, the week after, and we're going to go real deep on on um, pain psychology oh, and, and science and all sorts of stuff. This one. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Uh, but this topic, we actually uh, were meant to answer last week on Physio Monday, and we got into some really great discussion and sort of went out in the reeds a bit, and we didn't actually share exactly what we had planned so we decided to double down on it this week because we did have uh, a couple of questions about tendinopathy specifically forearm tendinopathy which here at unity gym we call gym herpes because it can just be so frustrating and and difficult to uh, overcome because people don't quite understand that there is a much better approach to it and there are a couple of key elements to dealing with tendinopathy that are a little bit different to sort of acute injury and uh, and that's what we want to dive deep into today but before we do i have to just before we we all start running off hear richard's voice just once i just want to hear it once so how are you richard i'm pretty good hopefully i've got my microphone set up this time correctly and you guys can hear me but good let us know if you can hear richard and also uh smash the like button if you agree with me that that is just the sexiest voice on the planet (laughs) smash that like button i'm going to hit it a few times uh everyone in the uh everyone in the group uh all right guys so let's kick off where we sort of left off 
last week because at the very end of the podcast recording, Phil did dive in and say we didn't actually answer the uh, the question. What is the difference? What is the key difference between an acute injury where you just like you literally hear a tear, you see the bruising on your bicep or your quad because you've overloaded it and and torn the muscle, and it's now like okay, the old the old strategy which was rice rest ice elevation compression or compression elevation, uh, which is a little bit different now. Um, there's a new there's a new strategy that's come out in the in the uh, last couple of years but what is different about that way of treating than tendinopathy and and explain that to us yeah well, i think it's really key here to sort of understand that like there's acute injuries what you just talked about there's chronic injuries so chronic injuries are the things that stick around even though the like trauma to the tissue is has long sort of healed and gotten back to a, a you know like past it sort of um, time of repair, but it's still causing either you know issues with movement or pain. Um, but then there's tendinopathy is kind of separate entirely. So a lot of times people kind of mix up that it's you know all chronic injuries are tendinopathy and tendinopathy are chronic injuries. Like in this group, I've had a bit of, a few problems where we've had to address that. Um, but yeah, just to be quite clear, there's quite there's a significant difference there. And just to again give some more bigger picture stuff, um, when you're thinking about the tissues that you're injuring, there's active structures and passive structures. So your active structures are anything you can contract, so your muscles and your tendons to some extent. But then there's passive structures as well. So they're going to be your cartilage, your bone, ligaments, um, versus joint capsules anything you can't contract no matter how hard you try rad's rad's a uh, a big fan of talking about his um slap tear so that would be a passive structural yeah because that's the um sort of cartilage attachment the labrum attachment of of an active structure yeah. so so just quickly before we go ahead this is the first thing we want you guys to take out of this discussion we're going to simplify it into three categories of injury we have an acute injury which is that initial sort of tear and you need to sort of rest it and let it heal uh, you've got the chronic injury which is a, essentially an acute injury that stays around for a long period of time yep. and can start to feel like it might be tendinopathy but it actually is not not tendinopathy not and that's the third <laughs> that's the third injury that we're going to talk about or the injury um, uh, group of injuries or classification today, which is tendinopathy. So you've got acute, chronic and tendinopathy. Yeah. Continue. And just to be clear again, so with acute, you can have acute injury to active structures. So you could have a muscle tear, muscle um, sprain, uh, a big a big bruise, a contusion. Um, all of these can be an acute injury to the muscles or the active structures. You can also have acute injuries to tendons. Um, Bones. Uh, so just to be clear, so that like with the active structures, so muscles and tendons, you can have acute injuries too. But then also with the passive structures, you can also have acute passive structure injuries, so um, labral tears, uh, bone fractures. But then you can also have chronic injuries to like chronic issues from uh, for active structures and passive structures as well. So just to be clear, like you know, chronic injuries aren't always passive structures, and active aren't always active. Um, yeah acute injuries aren't always active structures just to kind of hopefully that just clarifies things a bit because I think sometimes can, people can sometimes think like oh chronic injuries are like arthritis and that's only ever sort of bone but you can still get like muscle kind of issues that hang around for a lot longer or, or tendon issues that hang around for a lot longer like tendinopathy yep. so perfect hopefully that's not all too jargony and if you got if you guys do have any want any clarification while I am um, explaining this stuff or anything kind of goes over your head, please do let me know because I'm trying to get it to. That's, yeah, that's why I keep slowing slowing Phil down to uh, to get it down, um, get the IQ lowered down to uh, the, the rest of the level of the room, which is rad for myself and Richard. <laughs> <laughs>
I did watch that movie last night, Cliff and I. Idiocracy. Buckets. Did you like it? Yeah. So we good, a, isn't we it? We had a good laugh. So we, I feel like that's us and you're the new president. Right. Um, have you seen the movie? No. Oh, okay, good. So You'll have funny. to watch it. So um, <sighs> let's talk about now uh, specific strategy. Let's say, okay, because um, I did tip on this and we may as well mention it, uh, the peace and love strategy yeah. as opposed to the rice strategy, which is a little bit different. Uh, and um, and then we'll move on to tendinopathy in itself. Yeah, sure. Itself. So peace and love. Uh, a lot of people have heard of rice or price or pricer. There was kind of all lots of different combinations around rest Ricer, ice. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Rest ice, compression, <laughs> elevate, and, um, all of that. Um, so the BJSM, which is the British Journal of Sports Medicine, which is kind of one of the you know the big main ones. sort of research hubs for all things exercise and sports science, um, they've come up with. Uh, this sort of new um, version of it called Peace and Love, which Rich is doing some very nice um, <laughs> uh, screen sharing oh, stuff look on, at the, that. on the, on the video here. The, so for all you back in the hot seat with his screen out, sharing. But I will put a link to it, um, the article in the um, podcast description. Um, but yeah, just to kind of quickly run through it, the reason why they've changed it is because when you think rest, ice, compress, and elevate, it's all kind of very much mm -hmm. like things that you do to the injury without taking on any of the um, kind of mental side of an injury and without sort of actively, you know, strengthening or rehabbing um, the, the injury. So the BJSM has, has rightly moved <laughs> to something that it takes, gives you a bit more sort of control of things It will then have good long-term outcomes, not only just sort of settling things down short-term. Um, so just quickly to run through what um, peace and love means. So peace is protection, elevation, avoid anti-inflammatories, compression education and so this is very much talking about the absolute acute phase so within the first 72 hours these are the things you want to think about doing so protection is basically just avoiding um, the movements that are going to be really um, painful generally the movement that caused the injury so for an ankle sprain if you go over laterally on your ankle um, so to fall into the outside um, basically trying to avoid putting your ankle in that position because that's going to um, yeah, stretch and um, stress out the structures that have just been injured. Uh, elevation is basically getting the limb higher than your heart, and that's just to cause it, get a bit of the fluid draining um, back towards the central system. Because like injury, um, when you injure yourself, basically capillaries, um, like little blood vessels, can um, are ruptured, and lots of fluid can go to the area. Which, if there's too much of it, can be, um, you know, a bit deleterious, like a bit unhelpful uh, to yeah. the injury. Um, avoid anti-inflammatories uh, is the next one. So PEA, um, avoid anti-inflammatories is quite an interesting one because often that's people's first line of call is if they hurt themselves. Yeah, and, and this is, like, that's that really interesting, like that really surprised me when this first came out um, because that's that's always been my first line um, point of call. Like, as soon as I inflame something, as soon as I get that spasm or something going on, I just think, oh, all right, it, it's going to be easier for me to get through the rest of my day if I have some anti-inflammatories. Yeah, you know? so, so basically the reasoning for this is, is when you think about what the inflammation process is actually there for, it's quite a smart thing that the body has developed to basically, um, you know, kind of highlight an area of the body that needs a lot of attention and it's sending all these different um, sort of healing mediators to there, which, and, it, and, and part of what inflammation does is uh, sort of makes the area a bit less mobile, a bit less likely that you'll move it. And so um, it kind of makes sense that you don't want to completely limit um, all the inflammation of the area. So that's actually why you might kind of, when you're looking at peace, which is again, protection, elevation, avoid uh, anti-inflammatories, compression, education, there's no ice there. So that's 
whereas you know in rice rest ice compress and elevate ice used to be one of the main things because it's a potent sort of anti-inflammatory thing you can do and now they're like whoop hang on we got that one wrong <laughs> yeah inflammation is part of like human process of healing all animals you know process of healing so um yeah we actually want to avoid anti-inflammatories avoid ice because you can kind of delay tissue healing there yep um, so compression uh, is basically using a bandage or something to just uh, reduce a bit of the swelling. So again, this might seem uh, counterintuitive. The last point where it's like, okay, we want swelling, but we don't want swelling. Well, the difference there is you, you still want the inflammatory process to go ahead, but we're just looking at stopping that real excess sort of fluid. Same with the elevation. Yep. Um, and then last one, education. And that's just a key one because the way that you stop an acute injury turning into a chronic injury is really understanding what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, and the next sort of steps. So, um, yeah, and 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 that's where we're going to go deep today. Yeah. So that's peace. And that's again the first sort of 72 hours. And then uh, the love is the kind of from there up until, um, depending on the tissue type, you know, it could be the next two weeks, three weeks, up to six, sort of six weeks. And so what you're looking at there oh, is... Oh, just before you go, yeah. go further, I actually think that the love is really um, <laughs> perfectly falls under the, cate- the, the, the E uh, cate- um, category, education. You know, mm-hmm. this is where you need someone like yourself, like us, to teach you how to, how to move forward, you know. Exactly right. Yeah, 100%. <coughs> and and look, uh, very quickly, like you guys just redid your s- first aid and they're still teaching you rice, aren't they, in yep. first aid. So yeah. it's, it ta- and this is what they're teaching physiotherapists now, right? So it, it takes, a, it just, that gives you an example of how long it takes for new research. It's this really important to trickle down through the entire system. Yeah, the 14 years was the, like, I think the number that basically is how long it takes generally for something to be, uh, you know, from science to, yeah, broad adoption is is about 14 years. Yeah, it's disgusting. And so here's the thing, guys. You're going to have personal trainers and uh, people, GPs GPs even, who are still running off the old system and they're going to tell you to ice an injury as soon as you've hurt yourself and and take anti-inflammatories and things like that. So, you know, please understand that those people are doing what they've been taught and it takes a while for the real education to trickle right through. But what physiotherapists the high, who sit at the highest level of, uh, of um, injury management are being taught is very different know, to what... It's, and again, it's from the British Journal of Sports Medicine, very reputable yeah. source. And just to be clear, like if you have, you know, in the past, like... Uh, iced and taken anti-inflammatories that doesn't mean now you're a broken human um (laughs) this is all about like you know that got that was a good strategy to um, help out in the past but we're just like science is always kind of moving towards like really optimizing so uh, if you have you know done rice in the past like i have we all have um you know it doesn't mean now that you've missed this opportunity to properly heal this is all about just really fine-tuning um the yeah healing environment so um, yeah. That's okay. So the other thing I want to point out is uh, this next section is, e- is I think like it's very important, but it's even more important for people with tendinopathy because looking at this here, you know, um, this is, I think this is where a lot of people get tendinopathy ma- injury management really, really wrong. Yeah. So just to be clear with peace and love. This is, this is not the approach to all sort of injuries. So if you just find out you have arthritis, you don't then go, um, peace, you know, protection, elevation, avoid anti-inflammatory, compression, education. This is specifically about acute injury yep. management. Um, so this, like, peace and love, is not, you know, necessarily how you take on um, like tendinopathy injury management. 
But I think the love side of things, so load, optimism, vascularization, and exercise, should just be the bedrock of all. Yeah. Um, yeah. All injury yep. management. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, continue. Yeah. And so with with load, like particularly, I'll just try and keep it to acute injuries, so we're not flip flopping around okay. too much. So basically, we're going load, optimism, vascularization, and exercise. So load is about getting just ramping back on to loading <coughs> the structures that has been injured, but also loading the structures that have not been injured because it's so key to remember that if you stop exercising and stop strength training and stop moving that your body suddenly realize like, oh, okay, I guess we didn't need all this stuff that we've just been putting all this effort into building up. So we'll start taking resources away and put it elsewhere. Um, so it's so key to figure out as soon as you've got an injury, okay, like what training can I do that will keep the rest of my body strong? Um, but also what is the right amount of, um, of loading to put through the um, structure that you've injured to provide like optimal sort of signaling to the area that it should be healing without aggravating. And one thing, you know, if you've got a really um, significant injury that, you know, you can barely even touch the ground um, without, you know, hurting your, your knee, for example, then you might think about, okay, I can't load, like I can't really load through the knee, but what can I do at the ankle level and at the hip level that will then mean that by the time I can put weight in my knee, um, I'll have, you know, everything will be supported above and below. So this is where it kind of gets quite, um, you know, specific and it's really good to have some guidance around there because you do want to get just the right amount to, again, provide the optimal um, environment for healing, but not so much that you'll, um, yeah, set yourself back by aggravating it. Yep. Um, and then going into optimism. So optimism is basically like, it's this, it, it sounds a bit sort of woo-woo like, you know, just be happy and everything will be okay. But there's a lot of scientific evidence to suggest that um, even just having like a positive approach to your injury will have a uh, better long-term outcome. And, you know, part, part of that will be, uh, like most of that will be taking on the right sort of in things you need to do to <laughs> make yourself better. But yeah, basically being confident and positive. Um, goes a long way. Goes a long way. Very quickly, you know, do, I, I don't know if you can, um, uh, cite or, or remember the the scientist who who was an orthopedic surgeon who did this study on the placebo effect and mm. how it was actually even affected by uh, physical um, changes in the body and uh, and the way he proved that was that he had a, a whole bunch of people who were due to have a, a knee reconstruction or an arthroscopy and he basically was selectively categorizing people into groups of where he would do the full surgery do a flush and then just put incisions on the body and tell them that they had the reconstruction yeah, and uh and everyone tended to have the exact same result irrespective of whether they even had surgery or not you know yeah, the brain really does control the <laughs> control the show everything you experience is all coming through the brain so uh getting to a positive place around an injury is just okay but that's not to say like it should the that should all be on you as the patient like if you don't know what's going on like things are scary and i know that like rad with your injuries in the past i think you've kind of gone from like you know now that you've had these two significant shoulder injuries recently like your approach has been like bring it on like <laughs> i'm not stopping i'm gonna but at the beginning like when you first had the first one uh i think you were a bit more sort of you know stopped in your tracks and sort of didn't know yeah what to for do sure next. i was but i will say i i i believe that i'm better at that optimism than almost anybody that I've known. I and that. I was like that when I was the first really, I've had uh, some serious injuries throughout my time. Uh, I, um, notably the, sh the shoulder ones, but I've also torn my meniscus in my knee. And I've also, the, the, the biggest one, the one that actually required surgery was I did a complete 
uh, rupture of the Liz Frank ligament in my right foot. And if you Google that, it's a very small ligament, but it holds the apex of the foot together. And when you jump or apply pressure to the foot, it's where the majority of the pressure gets transferred through before it goes from the foot, from the toes up into the ankle and through the rest of your kinetic chain. And the only thing that I had on me back then, because I was 21 when I did that injury, was optimism. I didn't know any of this stuff. I wasn't even a qualified personal trainer back then. And I remember, I, because I, I, it was a work injury, so I, I was covered for work insurance, um, and I, I, they, I got to choose my surgeon. That, that was the only thing that I was really in control of. And, and I went to four orthopedic surgeons, and the first three gave me a really bleak outlook. They were really, they, they gave me these statistics and they said like you can, they basically looked me in the eyes and said you can forget all of the stuff that you love to do, that's gone. You're gonna have arthritis by the time you're 30. And I remember my optimism was so strong that I remember these surgeons and they were, they're surgeons, right? And I'm just some chump who knew martial arts. But I remember just looking at them and in my mind thinking, stuff you. There is no way that that is what I'm giving into at 21 years old. I am not the dude that w is a has-been. And, and I went with the fourth surgeon purely because he was smiling at me and saying, well, statistically, this is what happens, but you know, we'll see how you go. And that's why I went with him. And I had what he called a miracle recovery. I had a screw put in my foot and after six weeks at the six week checkup, he looked at me and he said, I've I don't see people after 12 months that have recovered as well as you have. And I'd take the screw out of your foot now, but if anything goes wrong later, you can sue me because it actually has to be in for 12 weeks. And at the exact 12 week mark, he took the screw out. And he said, that's unheard of with my surgery. And, and now at age 42, when I was told that statistically I'd have arthritis when I was 30, I'm 42 now, I don't even know that I had the injury. And the only thing that I had on my, in my side back then was optimism, that was it. <laughs> well, it was interesting because you actually worked with someone who who <coughs> seemed to have a very strong approach to the psychology around it and even meditating on your foot healing and at the right, right. you no, know, that, that yeah. was uh, yeah, something I, that really took a lot of your time. And I remember you even trying to convince me to do a similar thing when I'd ha suffered injuries. Yeah, you know? it's funny. Yeah, I was. I was working with a very, very left-wing hippie spiritual type healer. And she did. She taught me about this basic meditation where she told me to put my hands on my foot and just visualize the healing process. And I did that every day. And I did it every day, not necessarily because I believed in it, but I was just so desperate to get better. And I didn't, I, I don't know, there was just something within me that said, don't become that negative person that what we call now having the injury identity. And I, I was just so fierce within me. I just did not want to be that person. Yeah. All right. Let's, sorry to cut you off. Let's no, jump into vascularization and then exercise quickly because yeah. I do want to finish this yeah. uh, episode with specifics on how to treat uh, tendinopathy. For sure. Uh, so the vascularization is basically cardiovascular fitness. So when you are injured, often, you know, you stop doing not only strength training, but any, like you'll stop walking around, you stop doing any sort of cardiovascular fitness because you just like think that rest is best. Um, but it's so key to have, yeah, really good blood flow, um, good sort of, like that's gonna be sending all the healing goodness in your blood around around your body. So it's gonna keep you fit that when you do go back to your, ex like to the sport and the exercise you wanna do, that you'll still be fit and ready to go. Yeah. So um, really, you know, simple sort of, like you want to think of things that are pain-free. So that might be, um, you know, sitting on a, on a bike is often much easier for people, depending on the injury, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it could be something like uh, walking in, in a pool where yeah. you can take, uh, get the weight off your body and walking back and forth. Just trying to find some way of keeping your um, cardiovascular fitness up 
is a really important thing for yeah long-term management of an acute injury. And just to be absolutely clear, that's not just to keep your fitness up. It's actually to circulate blood throughout the body and improve the healing process because that's what the body's relying on to, to sort of clear out any uh, metabolic products that are not helping the injury, but also to get and transport nutrients yeah. to the injured area. Sure. And the last one, exercise, um, is yeah, basically restoring mobility, strength, and proprioception. So proprioception is uh, coordination, understanding where your your limb is in space, um, by yeah, doing targeted sort of exercising. So you might notice that like load and exercise might seem like they're kind of the same thing, but exercise, I guess, is more the selection of what you're doing and choosing the right exercises to, um, you know, increase your mobility. Um, keep strong in the right places and 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 have that coordination. Whereas load is really choosing the kind of weight selection or the regression of the exercise to make sure you're hitting that sweet spot of optimal healing rather than um, overloading or underloading. So that's again, I think this this love side of peace and love is just such a good approach for basically any injury. Yeah, and it's a large part of like with chronic injuries, which we'll just quickly cover. Um, it, it's basically the approach you want to take is getting um, those things right because yep. where acute injuries change f um, to chronic injuries is basically the role of pain in them. Where in acute injuries, pain super useful tells you kind of what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. Um, whereas once you get into chronic injuries, once the tissue's healed, once everything's um, sort of you know the the, the body's gone through that process, what happens is in chronic injuries, basically pain signaling starts becoming less helpful. Where you may have just sensitized a thing, you've maybe really focused on this injury, had a negative mindset. Um, like not got those parameters around loading and exercise right and then you've got a sensitized structure which is basically like um, it's you know uh, you, you send a little bit of signal there and it just freaks out and turns it up to 11 and <laughs> says yeah. like hey remember this thing like yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah. here but really it, it's like when you get the fever and you're wearing it like even wearing a t-shirt can be just like really yeah. painful like it, yeah. it, it's not because now your skin is all damaged it's not because you've <laughs> now got like injuries all over your body it's just basically the sensitization has just been turned way up so what would not usually be painful is now really painful so i think that's quite a useful way to think about um chronic injury where you know maybe it's in you know your knee or something just feels like it's just doesn't go away but really it's just the same as your skin in a fever it's not damaged it's just sensitized so yeah. um, and i'm experiencing this at present with my knee you know uh it it, it just i have this um ability for the pain to go through the roof after a run uh when you know, it's been seven years since I had my reconstruction and, and, I, and I've been back to have two scans and, and see my orthopedic surgeon and both times he's sat down, they've got a very, very cool uh, systems now where they can take a, a scan, uh, a, a, an MRI scan, and then they can show you a three-dimensional image on a computer screen where he just rolls around and shows me my actual knee. And he's showing me all of the different components that I think are just destroyed. And he's like, look, they're all intact. Everything's perfect. Yeah. The knee looks fantastic. The, the surgery was 100% successful. You just need to keep doing what you're doing, keep yeah. exercising. Yeah. And I'm always convinced when I go back that there's going to be, I'm going to see like my meniscus destroyed and flapping around all over the place and all sorts of crap. And twice I've been back and there's really nothing wrong with my knee. So yeah. And so getting past sensitization is just such a, a skill and you really need, like it, you can need a lot of guidance around it because 
it's all about just finding that right place to to start knowing how much to do and not overdoing it because as soon as you sort of overdo it you can't just like blast your way through it and and gonna be okay like you really need to just gradually expose yourself to things so i love that yanni now your approach has been to you know just begin with consistent walking start to bring in walk runs and then develop to running which is um yeah i think a bit different from what you've tried in the past so it's all about getting past that sensitization so there's a whole lot more to chronic injuries but we'll probably just um you know leave that there i think that understanding of um how pain is differently sort of viewed in acute versus chronic yep and quickly let's turn up the okay so la- and, and and i actually um we had a really good discussion last i think it was last week with uh about a gentleman's question around osteoarthritis and he had been experiencing pain in his one of his hips and he went to the doctor he had some scans and the doctor said he's got severe osteoarthritis in both hips and that he should not do anything anymore basically and he does capoeira and martial arts and he'd been doing the ums foundations program and he was really stumped by that di- um, di- diagnosis and uh, and, I, and and rad and i sort of i, I just ripped to shreds the doctor's approach because i was so pissed off with the u- use of the word severe yeah. in describing anyone's ailment and i wished to God that you were on that show because you would have been able to give it a much better answer than mine. But uh, that is a really good example of where optimism and the mindset comes in because, you know, my feedback to that gentleman was to, by all means, not stop exercising. Um, But, uh, you know... And particularly with... So with the reason why, like, the words like severe can be so problematic is that pain is perceived threat. So pain is your body's expression of perceived threat. So if you think that something is damaged and you think that something's unstable and you think that something's, um, you know, not quite right, that's when you start to then turn up the, you start listening to those signals more and that really impacts your sensitization and can play just a huge role in chronic pain. But you'll probably, you know, notice if you've ever sort of been in a bit of pain and then, you know, maybe you're playing like sports with your friends or your kid or something and you kind of just get lost in the moment and then you just suddenly you're able to like, you know, do a whole lot. And then afterwards you kind of realize like, oh, hang on, I am still sore there. But like for those moments, you didn't think about it because you were lost in the moment, you're having fun um, or fight or flight if you've, you know, really scared and suddenly you've got to just like hightail out of the way of a moving bus or something like you won't feel that you know yeah. gammy knee like you won't feel that sort of sore knee because your focus is elsewhere and the perceived threat is now like nullified because you either like have the focus away you have a lot of positive stuff going on or you've got that real negative that suddenly trumps your knee and that's kind of a good example of how pain is not just this constant um thing it is very much involved by your you know what's going on in your thoughts moods and beliefs so um, yeah, I think that's really key. And <coughs> uh, like arthritis is a big topic that I think we should probably talk about in more detail another time because I know that a lot of people have um, suffered with it. And even even with your surgeon saying like you're going to have arthritis by the time you're 30, like joint like passive joint damage, like passive structure, um, you know, damage like um, you know arthritis is just because the structure has changed does not mean that you should have any dysfunction or um, or pain. So like arthritis in itself, if you get on a scan, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to limit you. So yeah. I think it's really key to understand that. I think we should I, probably... I got told that I have arthritis in my shoulders when I did yeah. my MRIs. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, and I've got it in my knee and in, in my back. And uh, I think everyone probably... Like, yeah, like yeah, a lot of like, people like would have a little like bit Like everyone somewhere. over 30 has like... Like if you've been active, will have 
arthritis of, of, of to some degree, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and just because you like you have it does not mean that that will be cause pain or cause imaging. And a real problem is when some people have like you know a painful joint and they go get scanned as the first point of call, and then they find arthritis. Then they go like, oh, I have arthritis. Yeah, that's causing yeah, me pain. Yeah, yeah. But if you haven't done a proper clinical examination and mm. got a good understanding of what's going on, yeah. then that just might be a total red herring where you've had the arthritis anyway. Yeah, like, that's exactly <laughs> and then, right. And that's what so, I, yeah. I Tony think, Tony Batagi told us years ago. It, um, just for context, Tony is one of Yanni and my and Richard's um, greatest mentors. He's a he's a, just a walking almanac of exercise and everything, and he is a PhD holder as well. So he's a very knowledgeable person. But I remember when we were doing a course with him. Years ago, he was saying, um, when you look at the scans of people that have ha- been doing weightlifting for 20 years, their joints look worse than people that haven't done weightlifting for 20 years um, in a scan. Um, but uh, functionally and capabilities and their quality of life is considerably better than those people that haven't done weightlifting. And that's yeah. just because of the wear and tear that and, goes and, on. And, and the, the reason to like think about that, bringing it back to active versus passive structures is your passive structures are there for your kind of your backup support, but your active structures should really be running the show. So your muscles and your tendons controlling your body through space, um, creating stability. That's what's like doing that should be doing most of the support. And if you've not got strength, so if you kind of get told you have an injury, you stop training, you stop doing weights, you stop doing any exercise, then your active structures will get weaker. You'll then have to rely more on your passive structures. And so as your passive structures get more and more, um, you know, stressed and, 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 and used because you don't, you no longer have the strength to control your body, that's when pain really kicks off and that can be very problematic. So it's just a really good example of why, like, you know, people who are, um, you know, have significant sort of um, changes in the, in the joint, like within the joint. So what would be typically classified as arthritis, if you're strong and, you know, you're coordinated and you're mo- like, and you're mobile, like you usually won't even know <laughs> that yeah. you have the joint changes. So yeah. Cool. So let's quickly finish on a little bit of uh, strategy on tendinopathy and why it's important to not rest, not stop training. I'm j- and I'm just going to throw out a, a hypothetical scenario that is so common, which is that someone is someone has developed tendinopathy in the forearm, uh, golfer's elbow or tennis elbow, whether it's medial or lateral epicondylitis. Uh, and they go to the doctor or a physio and they say, okay, you, it looks like you have tendinopathy. Um, I want you to rest for the next two to three weeks. Don't go to the gym, don't play tennis, don't play golf. And then uh, I want you to start doing these few exercises. Sure. I'm going to start this off by um, my partner is a um, emergency medicine doctor who's now switching over to GP. And so she's starting that in February. Um, and she's just started getting all like, you know, GP textbooks and um, a magazine by the like Australian GP society, whatever. And so I was reading through it. It was the orthopedics ex- edition. So kind of from surgeons about musculoskeletal conditions. And one of them was lateral elbow um, tendinopathy. I think they called it tendinitis in the um, thing, in the which book. I was yeah. like, classic. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a rant Dead of, down. Yep. But <laughs> what I thought was really interesting is that they kind of covered all the different approaches which doctors would usually take, which is kind of medications, uh, surgery, and then they kind of referred to like physiotherapy, um, and um, occupational therapy sort of just as like a like one of the many sort of things that could happen and they basically came away with like nothing you do will make a difference which is I think really positive in our message and that it means that like you know 
don't get surgery Jesus. because that won't um, make a difference. And it's basically like a natural course of history. If you just leave it for like three months, then it usually like that will be, it will just go away at three months no matter what. Um, and that's on the back of a lot of research around um, different interventions within the sort of doctor space. Um, but yeah, I thought it was kind of like with physio, they just referred to physio as a treatment, not, not a profession. And yeah. physios, as you like, I'm sure everyone has kind of gathered, like, you know, don't always treat things the same way. So that might be referring to needling, that might be referring to hands-on manual therapy, or that might be like a exercise approach. And so I think just to not get totally lost in the weeds of all this research, um, I think that's a, the positive takeaway there is like, don't jump to surgery, don't get like, <laughs> yeah. get stuck into, you know, medications and all sorts of, um, you know, injections and whatever. Um, but I think it does a bit of a disservice to the like different approaches within physio. And the thing that has been shown to work for tendinopathy is a loaded exercise, um, a gradually progressing exercise program where you don't listen to pain so much. You train through pain um, to an extent. So um, you're doing, you're, but you're basically trying to build up the capacity of the tendon. And if you just say like, ah, oh, stuff it, whatever. If it's just going to be better in three months, I'm just going to, um, you know, not do anything. Then just keep in mind that for that three months, you're completely deloading all the other structures around it. And that if you come back and just think that if I wait three months and then jump back into exercise, then you're going to cause yourself a different tendinopathy because yeah. <laughs> now you brought the capacity right down and uh, it's, yeah, you could run into a few troubles. So the basic, you know, takeaway for, we don't have too long left on this show is that you really want to be working with someone who knows what they're doing to um, basically start training, not listening to pain so much and gradually reintroducing uh, strength and load into that tendon so that you can build up the capacity and get back to what you're doing. Yep, perfect. And even if it doesn't happen quicker than three months, at least if it does happen, like if you get to three months and then the pain goes away on itself, now you've got these robust, strong, um, you know, whatever, well, forearms for the example, and that you yeah. can keep progressing and get right back into yeah, where you left right. off. And the best treatments that I've, I've had tendinopathy in both my forearms and both, uh, and I've had it a couple of times and <laughs> the worst I've ever done was to rest it and stop doing what I was doing. And the best that I've ever done was to regress a little bit uh, and just do movements slightly differently. So the, the pull-ups, the chin-ups that I was doing, I had to shorten the range of movement just a little bit. Yeah. But I kept doing chin-ups, I kept doing pull-ups, and I kept doing... Uh, I had for, to for pressing movements, just in, instead of going into um, extension of your wrist, going into just like a neutral position, and that yep. might mean like holding parallel bars on the floor, might be doing neutral grip um, dumbbells just to take a bit of the stretch off the, um, the, forearms. the, the forearms. Yep. Because again, um, stretch is a load, compression is a load, and that position of the wrist will cause um, you know, more load to deal with. So yeah, basically like regressing, slightly adapting the positions. Um, and then just keep going, yep. keep going. And you'll get a much better result than if you uh, take time away from the gym and you won't go backwards on everything else that you're doing. And you won't get all the complications of surgery. You won't get the complications of um, steroid injections, which can cause to long-term uh, weakness in the area. There so you go. that was a lot of information and, and I really do <laughs> hope that it was useful. I think it's like to have that kind of good understanding of like, the major <coughs> different types of injuries and the basic sort of principle about how you approach them is really key. So I do hope that um, you guys found it useful. And if everything is a bit 
too much, too much junk. I really try and uh, keep things as simple as possible, but do give us give me some feedback so I can try and make this as useful for you guys as possible. Not just that, guys. Uh, r- reach out, connect. Uh, always, if you've got a question related to an injury uh, or injury management, tag Phil in the question yeah. so that we can find them. And, uh, and most so- importantly, I want to finish. I want to finish on the, the the mindset concept. If you're Quickly entering before you do, uh, just disclaimer again. Like, please don't treat this show as a physio consult <laughs> yep. I've not worked with you directly so just make sure if you do need specific advice that you do see a physio either you know one locally to you or, or, or us at ADPT physio online um, so yeah just keep in mind this is not a consultant don't take this to the bank <laughs> yeah and we will link uh, we'll put I'll get Phil to throw a link in the comments here yep. where you can connect with him and or Nilesh and uh, and organize a consult if you need to uh, but I want to finish on just re- reaffirming the mindset uh, principle here if you're entering 2021 with an injury I asked the question of the day are you working through any injuries at the moment if so how can we help the best way that we can help is to confirm or reaffirm to you or encourage you to start with a positive mindset about it do not let it stop you from doing what you want to do just strategize ways to continue moving forward the the way you approach it the way you uh, either create an injury identity for yourself and drag that through the year or the way you decide that you're going to overcome that injury is the first step and uh, it will go a long way to your strategy of uh, getting over it so be positive uh, injuries come and go. We've all had them, and some of them are more serious than others. Some of them take a little bit longer to work through than others. And uh, all of them are an amazing learning opportunity that yes. will inform your training. And you know, if you if you do learn from all your injuries and you you, you approach your weakest links um, in the right sort of way, then you can only come back stronger. So. Yeah, absolutely. If Rad, Richard, and myself and Phil had stopped training because of our injuries, by God, we would uh, be very overweight and unhealthy people. All right, guys, that's it. Tomorrow we are kicking off our nutrition discussion. Uh, This week we're going deep on nutrition and uh, we're very excited about that series. And uh, we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Rad. Thank you, Richard. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're gonna have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's going to get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. The gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.